Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to look at one verse in, in our message today. It is a great verse. It is a verse that you no doubt are familiar with, especially if you have walked with the Lord for any amount of time. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I want to begin by reading it, and the title of this message is The New You. I think you'll understand why I am titling it this. The Bible reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This verse very clearly speaks about the dramatic change that takes place in a person's life when they are born again. And not just with some people who are born again, but with everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. They are never the same again. There is a dramatic change that takes place in them in which they are no longer the person that they once were, that God has invaded their life. God has taken over their life, and God is making over their life such that they are never the same again. When you come to faith in Christ, it's not just forgiveness of sin that we receive, where the slate is wiped clean and we just continue to live the same life as if nothing has happened. No. When we believe in Christ, God does cancel out our sin debt and He does clothe us with the perfect righteousness of Christ, but God also does such a work inside that person that they're never the same again. In the act of justification, we are given a new standing before God, but it really does nothing to change us on the inside. In the doctrine of reconciliation, we enter into a new relationship with God, but that doesn't really change us who we are internally. It is the doctrine of regeneration, which is the new birth, that actually alters fundamentally the entirety of who we are on the inside. We, are, we receive a new mind, we receive a new heart, we receive new desires and new passions. In, in every way, we are changed from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And in the larger context of verse 17, Paul has been talking about this, this this change that comes over us as a person. In verse 14, he says that the love of Christ controls us. We now are under the control of Christ. And the love of Christ demonstrated at Calvary's cross as He laid down His life and shed His blood for us, that truth now dominates our life. And we're no longer under self-control and we're no, no longer under the control of our sinful flesh, we now are under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our life has to change. And then in verse 15, leading up to verse 17, he, he says that He died for all so that they might live, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. We once lived for ourselves. We once did our own thing, went where we wanted to go, when we wanted to, 
with whom we wanted to, how we wanted to. That's how a lost person lives. But now that we are in Christ and we have been born again, we no longer live that way anymore. And what is fundamentally important to us is that we live for Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1 verse, verse 21. And so now we, we seek out God's will for our life, and now we want to be on God's agenda, and we want to bring glory to God in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so this is this change that, that God has brought about. We're no longer self-centered. We're now Christ-centered. And then in verse 16, he says that we do not recognize people now according to the flesh. We used to size people up by what they looked like and where their position was in life and whether or not we wanted to connect with them or not, but we don't see people like that anymore. We've been given new eyes now to, to see other people as, that's my brother in Christ, that's my sister in Christ, or this is someone who needs the gospel. And so we appraise people with a, a totally different paradigm through which we see. We have spiritual eyes with an eternal perspective to now see. And so as we come now to verse 17, the first word is, therefore, which really pulls down verses 14, 15, and 16, and, and really ties a ribbon around what he has been saying and brings us this summary statement of this dramatic change that takes place the moment we are born again. And so look at it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do, do you not love this verse? I mean, this is your story. This is what God has done in, in your life. I mean, you're looking in a mirror as you look at this verse. This is the explanation for your life now. And you may be a mystery to your unsaved relatives. You, you may be a mystery to your, to your old friends, and they don't really quite understand this, this change that has, has come over you. This is a verse that gives us, really, God's interpretation of your life and why you are so different now from what you once were, okay? So, I want to break this verse out into, into three parts, and as we look at verse 17, I want you to see a new position, if anyone is in Christ. I want you to see a new creation. He is a new creature, and I want you to see a new transformation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. So, let's just walk through this, this passage together. This is a golden nugget that, that we're setting forth and putting on a pedestal and putting the spotlight on it that we might savor the truth of what is, what is here. The first thing I want you to note is a new position. We have a new position. So he begins by saying, if anyone is in Christ. I, I love this word, anyone, because it indicates no matter what your past, 
whether you grew up in church or whether you grew up in a gang, uh, whether you grew up with, uh, uh, within a, in a moral lifestyle or whether you grew up with an immoral lifestyle, whether you grew up in a Christian home or whether you grew up in a, in a non-Christian home, anyone, whatever your past, if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, you would be immediately in Christ. Now, what, what does this mean to be in Christ? Well, please note he doesn't say in church, and he doesn't say in the Word, because you can be in church and not be in Christ. I mean, with this many people gathered here today, it would be impossible that everyone who is in church is in Christ. We always have unbelievers among us, and we're thrilled that, that, that you're here. But you can be in church and not be in Christ. You can be in a Bible study and not be in Christ. You can be in prayer and not be in Christ. To be in Christ means that you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It means that you are in vital union with Him. That means you're literally like plugged into Christ. I mean, if you could picture a if we had up here a, a vacuum cleaner, and it's got a long electrical cord, and there's a socket around here somewhere, and as long as this vacuum cleaner is just sitting here unplugged, it has no power, it has no energy, it has no capacity whatsoever to fulfill the purpose for which it's made. But if we take this electrical plug and, 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 and put it into the socket, suddenly there's a power surge just immediately, and the, the, the engine comes on, and there's a, a power surge, and it's able to do what it is created to do. Why? Because it's plugged into the power source. It's plugged into the socket. And the same is true when we believe in Jesus Christ. We become plugged into Christ, and we once were dead in trespasses and sins. And suddenly now, the, the power of God and the power of heaven surges into our spiritual lives. And as Paul said in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The, the, the key is that we are in Christ. Now, we didn't start out in Christ when you were born into this world, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, when, when you came out in that delivery, you were not in Christ. Uh, you, you were born in sin, with a sin nature, with a disposition to sin. You, you were born in another kingdom, in another realm. Uh, you were born a part of this world system over which Satan presides as the god of this age and the prince of this world. You were born um, in the kingdom of darkness. You were born in spiritual death. You were born a living corpse. And you remained that way as, as you grew up. You weren't in a neutral state. You weren't in no man's land. You were separated from Christ. You had no spiritual life whatsoever in you. Until that time, until that moment when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you recognize that you were a sinner, 
that you needed a Savior, you repented of your sins, you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ, you threw yourself upon His mercy, you called upon the name of the Lord, and He saved you, and in that moment, you became in Christ, and you were plugged into Christ. And now, all of the resources of Christ are available to you and surging in you. Uh, In that moment, His righteousness came into you and was you were imputed with His righteousness. His wisdom became your wisdom, and His power became your power. His joy, your joy. His peace, your peace, because you now are in Christ. There, there, there is a world of theology in that little prepositional phrase. And those two little tiny words, in Christos, in Christ, that plugs you in to the all of the vast treasures of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is now available to you. And what was true of Christ experientially became true for you. In that moment, you were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You were seated with Christ. And what was true of Christ became true of you because you are in Christ. And I think the verse that, one of many verses really, that really helps with almost as a key to unlock our understanding of this is 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, which reads, by His doing, referring to God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you and I could do to place us into Christ. That that's a work of God's grace. We can, we can believe upon Christ with the faith that He gives us, but it is the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Christ and places us into Christ. And in this verse, it says, by His doing, you are in Christ. And by the way, that's the best place for you to be, for for you to be in Christ. And then what follows, who became to us, Christ became to us, notice the four things, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I mean, all of that immediately became ours because we are in Christ. So the question this morning that I have for you before we go any further is to ask you the obvious question, first of all, are you in Christ today? Are you a believer in Christ and all believers have been placed in Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And are you aware that by being in Christ, all of the vast spiritual riches that belong to Him are now being shared with you, and we are joint heirs with Christ of His vast estate? So, for the new you, it begins with a new position. (laughs) You're, You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You used to be of the world. You're no longer of the world. You're just in the world. You now are in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's where Paul begins this verse, a new position. Now, second, I want you to note a new creation. We, we, we are a new creation because verse 17 continues after he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That really speaks to the miracle of the new birth. We are a new creature. Just like in Genesis 1, where we read in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke everything into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God separated the waters, and He scooped up the mountains, and He hollowed out the bottom of the ocean, and He caused vegetation to grow in the animal kingdom. God just created it out of nothing, right? He wasn't just rearranging what was already there. God does the same thing in the new birth. God says, let there be light. And the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and gospel light came shining into our sin-darkened hearts. And, And in that moment, God created a new life inside of a new person. It's not a continuation of the old life. God's not putting a plus on our F, okay? It's a whole new life inside of a whole new person. And so, this word new, do you see it there? In the original Greek with which the New Testament was written, there's two words that are used for new, and it's really worth bringing this to your attention. One means new in time. The other means new in quality like a brand new kind. The word that Paul uses here is not the word for new in time. That's chronos. Uh, In the English language, we have a chronometer. That's a watch that tells us what time it is. That's not what Paul is saying. He is using a different Greek word, kainos, that means new of a totally, completely different kind. In other words, when we are born again, God gives us a total makeover, and God gives us a new mind. He gives us new eyes. He gives us new ears, spiritually speaking. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires. He gives us a new disposition. We we become a totally new person on the inside of our soul. And that is what Paul is saying here. He he is a new creature. Now, there are many metaphors, which are analogies or pictures that are used in in the Bible for the new birth. And I want to mention just a couple of these because they parallel with being a new creation. Uh, One is a spiritual resurrection, that we once were dead in sin, we once were in the grave of sin. We were a corpse that had no spiritual life. And when we were born again, there was a spiritual resurrection, and we suddenly came alive unto God. 
and we're able now to respond to God and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Another metaphor is circumcision. Circumcision was used in the Old Testament with Israel, and it signified being set apart unto God, that there is a a cut and you no longer belong to yourself, but you now belong to God. And it was anticipatory of trusting what God would do in the future to bring someone to faith in Christ. Well, Paul also in Romans 2 talks about those who are circumcised but uncircumcised, meaning they've been physically circumcised but have never had a spiritual circumcision. In Philippians 3 verse 3, Paul says to the believers in Philippi, you are the true circumcision. And what that means is the Spirit of God has taken the sharp two-edged sword of the Word of God and has cut your heart and has set your heart apart from living for sin and living for self, and you now are set apart to, to live for Jesus Christ. That's spiritual circumcision. And God cuts us to the bone, and He cuts into our heart, and we now belong to Him. Another picture of the new birth is washing, a spiritual washing. And in Titus 3 verse 5, He talks about the washing of regeneration, that in the new birth there is a a deluge of saving grace and forgiveness and, and pardon that just comes washing over our souls, and we are made pure and clean in the sight of God. In fact, Jesus said in John 3 verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, except one is born of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And their water is a a picture of the new birth purging and purifying our once polluted soul. Well, I've got one more picture of the new birth, just to draw to your attention. And it's a spiritual heart transplant. In Ezekiel 36, verses 23 to 25, Uh, the prophet, really it's God speaking, the prophet is recording God's words, that I will remove your heart of stone and implant a heart of flesh. What does that mean? Well, to remove a heart of stone, a heart of stone is one that's hardened, it has no life, it is unresponsive to the gospel, it is unresponsive to the things of God, It's cold. God takes out that unbelieving heart, and God implants in a heart transplant a new heart. It's a heart of flesh. And what that means is it's a heart that's alive. It's alive unto God, and it has a heartbeat and a pulse, and it throbs for the things of God, and it sends out to the entire inner life of a person, really new life. That's the picture of the new birth. Well, here Paul uses the image of a new creation or a new creature as God creates everything out of nothing. The greatest change that will ever happen in someone's life is not when they leave, not when a believer leaves the earth 
and goes to heaven. That'll be a significant change, but that's not the biggest change to ever happen in your life. It is when you are born again. That's an even bigger change than when you leave here and go there to be with the Lord. You say, why? Because in the new birth, you go from death to life. In glorification, you just go from life to life. (laughs) You go from a measure of life here, spiritual life, to the consummation of full life there, but it's far more dramatic and it's far more different to go from no life to having the life of God within you. So that's how dramatic this is when we read in verse 17, He is a new creature. Now, before we move on to the last part of this verse, I I want to give you some key words that will help define this change that takes place when you become a new creature, okay? The first thing I want to tell you is it's a radical change. It's not a slight alteration of who you are and what you are on the inside. No, you've gone from the basement to the penthouse with God. I mean, you, you have gone... There couldn't be a more radical change to take place in in your life. So it's a a dramatic, extreme takeover and makeover of your life. The second word is comprehensive. It's a comprehensive change. It it changes every part of you. It's not just a part of you that has changed. It's the entirety of your, of your inner soul that has changed. It changes your mind, and you are now given the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.15. You, you, you are given a new heart with new loves and, and new affections, and you are also now given new desires and new ambitions for God. There, there's not a little closet in your life that is unchanged. There's not a little back room compartment of your life that goes unchanged. No, from the front porch to the back porch, the first floor, the second floor, the house of your life, every inch and every ounce of you is changed in the new birth. The third word I want to give you is immediate. It is an immediate change. God never bursts someone into the kingdom progressively over a period of time. It's like a lightning bolt out of heaven that just strikes the tender of your heart, and and suddenly you are inflamed now with new love and new devotion for God. It, It is an immediate thing. Sanctification is progressive. Regeneration takes place in a point in time. Now, the fourth thing I would tell you is it's noticeable. It is a noticeable change. Others can see the change in your life. They may not be able to explain exactly what all has happened in your life, but they can see the change in your life. There's the fruit of repentance. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There now is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control that that begins to emerge in your life, but it it all starts with the new birth. 
And then the word irreversible. It's an irreversible change. I mean, once a new creature, always a new creature. Once born again, never to be unborn. It's a work of God that can never be undone or reversed. Let me give you a verse. Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God never walks off the construction site. God never walks away from the life of a believer. What God starts, He stays with it inside the person and carries them all the way through to the end. It is irreversible. A believer will never become an unbeliever. And then six, it's an individual change. It's a personal experience. It it only happens one at a time. Let me put it to you this way. There are no twins in the kingdom of heaven. There are no triplets. There are no quadruplets. There's only one person who was born again at a particular time. That's how personal and that's how individual it is. And then the last word I want to give you is, it's really kind of a theological word, but hang with me on it. It's a monergistic change. Mono, meaning only one, ergon, to work. There's only one active agent at work in the new birth, and that is God Himself. None of us here today birthed ourselves into the kingdom any more than a a block of marble makes itself into a statue. No, you had to be born into the kingdom by God and by God alone. Let me ask you this question. What did you do to be born physically? Well, I'm waiting. (laughs) Nothing. What did you do to be born spiritually? The answer is nothing. It is God who took the initiative. It is God who did the work inside of you. There was only one active agent. You were not participating with God in in your own new birth. You didn't conceive within your own heart new life. You didn't deliver yourself into the kingdom of God. It is God and God alone. Therefore, all the glory goes to who? It goes to God. That's how we got here. So, this is the, this is the new creation that you have become. And you may be an enigma to your family. You may be a riddle to your friends. You, you, you may be an unsolved mystery to people you, you work with, they, they can't quite figure you out, it is because you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, there's one last thing that I want you to see in this verse. Not only do we have a new position, we're in Christ, and not only are we a new creature or a new creation, but I want you to see finally a new transformation. Because everyone who is born again, it begins them now on a lifelong journey of a radically changed life. So, notice what he says at the end of verse 17, and this all 
uh, took place when you became a new creature, the old things passed away. <laughs> there was just an immediate break with the past. Old here comes from a Greek word that comes into our English language. The root of it is archaeology, talking about ancient history. Your old life before you were a Christian, that's passed away. That, that's over. That's, that's buried. The old things here refer to your old passions, your old desires, your old loves, your old ambitions, your old enslavement to sin, your old prejudices against certain people, your old values, your old lifestyles, your, own, your old self-centeredness, your old self-pity, your old self-life. It's just passed away. That is no longer who you are. That's what this verse is saying. Passed away is a verb in the original language that just means cease to exist, to perish. It's used in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. I mean, there's coming a time, according to 2 Peter 3, when God's just going to burn up the planet. And then He will create a new heavens and a new earth from scratch in which we will live forever. So, these old things have passed away. It doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore, but what it means is this old past of what we once were, it's no longer sitting on top of our life, and it's no longer dominating our life. It's present, but it's no longer president over our lives. When I brought my children out to the Master's University, I, I started with twin boys, drove them out here from Alabama. Took three days. I had a U-Haul trailer hitched behind um, the car. Had to drive that U-Haul trailer for three days through Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, until we come to the Republic of California. Needed a passport to get into the state. <laughs> and so, as soon as we got here, the first thing I did, I could hardly wait to just unhitch that U-Haul so I could sit on 405, <laughs> so I could drive through Los Angeles. Well, when you were placed in Christ and when you were born again, God just unhitched the baggage from your past. And you, those things have passed away. Now, we still wrestle with certain sin, but it's no longer hitched up to it anymore. And then he puts it in the positive. He says, behold, new things have come. And when he says, behold, that's, that's a word that means, look at this. Don't let this pass your, 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 your eyes. Note this well. New things have come, and these new things are not new in time, but new in quality, new in kind. <laughs> these are whole new things that have come to your life. These things are new loves, new desires, new motives, 
new joy, new priorities, new passions, new, new hungers. Now, everything that is good and godly now rises to the forefront of, of your life. Now, I need to point out to you in verse 17, when he says, old things passed away, that's one verb tense in the original language, and it means all at once you were unhitched from that. But then when we come to the end of verse 17 and we read, have come, new things have come, it's a totally different verb tense, and what that means is they came in the past and they will continue to come in the present and really into the future, there, there's this whole new life now that, that is emerging. Our spiritual lives, we're like this flower that's just opening up to the sun of, of God's grace, and, and we're, we're just opening and growing, growing upward and becoming more and more like Christ. So, these new things that have come, that's progressive. It started at the moment you were born again, and it just continues until the day we step into heaven. We call this progressive sanctification. It's progressive spiritual growth. It is progressive Christ-likeness. We're just ever and always growing and increasing. As Romans 8 verse 29 says, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you what God's up to in your spiritual life right now. During the Renaissance, Michelangelo was the great painter and sculptor, and he would take a, a block of marble from there in northern Italy and he would just begin to chisel and carve and chisel and carve. And the next thing you know, there's the statue of David that's there in Florence. It's just jaw-dropping in its beauty. The muscles of David, the, the blood vessels you, you see, the, 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 the hairlocks, uh, the, the countenance on the face. They asked Michelangelo, how could you possibly take a block of marble and create David out of this? He said, oh, it's very simple. I just chisel away everything that does not look like David. Simple. You know what God's doing in your life? He's just chiseling away everything that does not look like Jesus Christ. He's chiseling away attitudes, actions, words, reactions. He's just chiseling all of that away, and it's a process. And, and none of us really are a completed work until that moment that either we die or Christ returns and, and we step into glory, and, and then God will just simply complete what He began back at the time of our regeneration, our new birth, but that's what God is up to in your life, and it is in the life of everyone who is born again. So, there are not some people who are born again, but 
they, they, uh, they, the, the old things haven't passed away. There's not some people are born again and new things are not coming. No, we call that a dead testimony. We call that a counterfeit conversion. We call that a bogus belief in everyone who is born of God, they, are, they have become a new creature. The old things are just immediately shed, and there is now this new life that is emerging in this new person. So, how are we going to respond to this? What, what's your responsibility from this? What are some action steps that you would take from this? How, how will you be different when you walk out of here in just a couple of minutes from when you walked in here? Well, let me give you three words to, to just to give you something to, to hang your hooks on to do. Number one is recognize. You need to recognize that everything that we've talked about is a work of God's grace. Would you please note the beginning of the next verse, verse 18? It's right there before our very eyes. We, we, we couldn't miss it. At the beginning of verse 18, Paul writes, Now all these things are from God. What new things? <laughs> Being in Christ, becoming a new creature, the old things passed away, uh, new things have come. All of these things are from God. It is God's work within you. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So you, you need to recognize that you are what you are as a believer because of the grace of God that is operative in your life. Regeneration is monergistic. Sanctification is synergistic. So we have a great responsibility to participate with God in our own sanctification. Nevertheless, God is the primary agent, capital A, in our sanctification, and it is God who is working in us to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So, we just need to recognize this. This isn't up to us to carry on our Christian life. No, all of this is from God. So, recognize that. Second is the word rejoice. Well, let us rejoice in what God is doing. He doesn't make junk. He makes masterpieces, okay? And He's at work in your life right now, increasingly making you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let, let us give praise to God. Let us rejoice that, that He's not making us into a different image. So, how exciting it is to be a Christian. How thrilling it is to walk with the Lord, knowing that I'm not what I, where I was two years ago. I'm not what I was five years ago. That, that I can look in my rearview mirror, and I can see God chiseling and God growing, and God maturing, and bringing me to where I am. And the last word, and this is really for those of you here today who may be saying, 
You know, as we look at this verse, this, my life doesn't even resemble this. Well, the word for you is repent. You need to turn to the Lord and repent and believe and entrust your soul to Jesus Christ. You bear this responsibility to, to come to Christ by faith, to surrender your life to Him, not just to be in church, but to be in Christ. And so, if you have not yet been born again, I told you only God can birth you, but He would have you look to His Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless and perfect life, who died a sin-bearing, substitutionary death upon a cross, was buried, was raised on the third day, has ascended back to heaven, is seated at the right hand of, of God the Father, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If what we've looked at today has never happened in your life, and you may say, you know, I've been going to church all my life, but I've, I've never seen this verse, or I've been going to church all my life, or I've never been to church, and I just happen to be here today at Grace Community, and this is the very antithesis of my life. I, I don't see this reality in my life. Well, then you've come on the perfect day to hear the truth about this. And if you would believe in Jesus Christ, He says, Him who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He will gladly receive you. He's the friend of sinners. Just tell Him what a sinner you are and how much you need God's grace Come to Him. Come all the way to Him and say, have mercy upon me, the chief of sinners. Have mercy upon me, the sinner. Oh, He has oceans of mercy. He has galaxies of grace. He, he has more forgiveness and more grace than you have sin. And if you would but trust Him to be your Lord and Savior, He would wipe the slate clean he would forgive you of all your sins. He would clothe you with His perfect righteousness, and He would be preparing a place for you even today at His Father's house. He would come and live inside of you. He, he would put you on a new path. He would take you in a new direction. He, he would just totally change your life for the better and for the good. If you had 10,000 lives... You ought to give every one of them to Christ, but you only have one, so don't hang on to it. He, he who saves his life will lose it, but he who loses his life will save it. So don't hang on to your life. Give your life away to Jesus Christ, and he will take it, and he will transform it, and he will give you abundant life, and he will walk with you. And one day he'll walk you home to be with his father. If you've never done that, do that today. Do not leave here today without in your heart of hearts doing business with God. Let's close in a word of prayer. And as we close, to my right, there are double doors, and it leads to a prayer room. And if you'd like to talk to someone about how do I commit my life to Christ? Or I have some questions that need to be answered. 
I would urge you, don't be concerned about going to lunch. Be concerned about going to heaven. Go talk to a counselor. They are friendly, godly people who have a Bible and who can help you as you would commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this golden nugget of a verse that is placed right here in this 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I pray that the truth of this passage would give us a framework to understand this new person that I have become in Christ. And Lord, for those who are with us today, we pray who are without Christ, Lord, may you lay hold of them as one of your own and bring them to faith in your Son today. Faith in Jesus Christ. May this reality become true in many hearts here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.